Unlabeled Leadership is a volunteer service. We appreciate our guests for their stewardship and remarkable stories. We also appreciate listeners like you who back the show with star reviews and contributions. Gary DePaul with Unlabeled Leadership. Welcome to episode 146. Sherry McManus and Lou Everett lead from the heart. Here's a shout out to listeners from the Philippines, specifically in Cordillera, Central and Western Visayas, and Northern Mindanao. And in the United States, Iowa City and Mason City in Iowa. With that, let's get started. Sherry and Lou are known for speaking about the importance of personal growth and how it impacts our ability to influence. They are co-owners of the Lou Everett Group. Sherry's the COO and executive leadership coach, while Lou is the CEO and business and leadership coach. In 221, Sherry made Influence Digest's top 20 coaches in the Raleigh area. In addition to both of them being certified leadership coaches and corporate trainers, They've been trained and mentored by Tony Robbins, Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy, John Maxwell, Jack Canfield, and Paul Martinelli. You can find more information about them in the show notes. Part 1. Miracles Happen During Transitions In my research, I identify seven leadership principles in which one is about the person practicing leadership, and the other six are about other people. The principles illustrate that leadership is not about you, but about other people. It's about valuing the people we interact with. Sherry and Lou have two quotations that really gets at this idea of valuing other people and getting to know who they are. To begin, here's Lou. A sentence or quote that really um, affected me. And, and mind you, I've been, uh, my mom exposed me personally to back in the day, the cassette tapes of John Maxwell and Tony Robbins and uh, Zig Ziglar and all those gurus. And one quote I recall hearing, not knowing exactly when, but most likely was in my late teenage years was by John Maxwell. And he said, to add value to people, you must value them. If you really, really listen to that quote, is really effective. And that's really our mantra is we're not just adding value to people, which is important. It's more important that we value them first. To me, that's one that has stuck with me and that I use every day um, as I approach other people. I actually have it on my wall that I look at every day. It is also a John Maxwell quote, ironically, Hmm. leaders touch a heart before they ask for a hand. I've always believed that I had that innately to really dig into that, really set to embrace what every word of that quote, especially with my near-death experience in 2018, being in the ICU for 10 days with a rare disease. When you have a near-death experience, a lot changes. This was for the good. That was just one of the quotes. And the idea with leadership, it's not about you, it's about other people and helping them mature and grow mentally, morally, and build their character. It is. It's all about others. And, and that's the challenge we face as leaders. 
a lot of times we've got this burden, right, that, that sits on our shoulders that we've been, we've really accepted. We haven't been given it. We accepted the role. And so then we, we accepted that responsibility. Sometimes we know it and other times it's a surprise that we've accepted all of that. But you're right. It's, it's not about us. It's, it's about them. That really ties into that first Maxwell quotation about you must value them. These are human beings. They're not autotoms. They're people. It's not about getting them to do stuff, which is old style leadership. It's about helping them improve and grow. The old 70s playbook is kind of, it's Mm -hmm. been outdated for a long time. Mm -hmm. It's time to look at our people, especially now. I mean, we're we're talking about post-pandemic here, right? Yeah. People have choices. It's an employee market. It's up to us as leaders to keep those that we value uh, and that are valuable to the company and identifying that and understanding their value, not only as a team member, but their value as a person and what it is that, that really drives them. We've heard about the great resignation, but there's still a lot of people that are with their organizations before the pandemic. They may have been happy and content and just did their job and maybe not liked it. But since the pandemic, there's been what I've been hearing from vice presidents is that there's been more objections to what's going on. That's been a problem. I'm wondering if the environment is set up in such a way where maybe they're not valuing their people and listening to them as much as they could. That's actually really common. The culture, that's what boils down to. The culture is if the leaders say that they listen to them, but then they don't act upon it, then nothing's going to happen. And the culture becomes this toxicity that's where I have come from in my career. One of my career is from a toxic working culture where leadership was more focused on the bottom line than they were valuing their employees. This was pre-pandemic. Yeah, This has always been the undercurrent, so to speak. It's kind of a blessing and a curse that the pandemic has arised because now people are finally seeing the values of, you know what? I need to stay with my family. I enjoyed having dinner at a certain time with my family. Oh, I can enjoy my house again. Because we're so in the circle of the hamster wheel of just get up, eat, go to work, come home, eat, sleep. And and then we recycle that over and over again. Leadership should not be shocked. They shouldn't, but unfortunately they are, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it it amazes us that it's like, well, yeah, you need to listen to your people. They're not machines. The positional style leadership is shifted. And this is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Things come full circle. It really reminded me of a time before that method and, and that style came to an existence that we did care about people and people did value one another. Everybody knew each other in a good sense. There's pros and cons. I love how history repeats itself in this instant anyway. You've hit a good point, Gary. There's a, something I've heard. It goes something like miracles happen in transition. When there is something as catastrophic as the pandemic that we've experienced, it allows people the space to begin to explore what their values are and how that relates to the amount of time that they spend elsewhere. What that has created is a higher value of what they value They bring that now to their work and says, listen, I value this more. What can you do to help me keep this value? It's important for us to listen to that. That is going to determine the perspective in which we look at it. And that's what it's about, really. Perspective 
Are we willing as leaders to understand the value that our people are placing on their values and attempt to do what we can to understand and appreciate that and to provide the necessary avenues for them to express it? Part two, policy and processes obscure leadership practices. If you look at a process map, you're gonna see a series of steps that people do when they follow a process. What you're not gonna see is leadership. Leadership is a way of practicing a process or a policy. When I talk to people at companies or associations, I have a couple of ways of illustrating the practice of leadership and how it's different from processes or policy. What you're about to hear are two stories that illustrate the point. Lou begins by sharing his story first. Here's Lou. The real story is something that I dealt with. This happens a lot as leaders, as, as many times we're put in and we're, we've accepted a role and then we're, we're given a team or we inherit a team of individuals. And sometimes, just sometimes, we don't have a full story of each one of those people. I say sometimes kind of tongue in cheek because firstly, all the time, we don't really know their story. Yeah. And so we, we need to explore what that is, or we end up hearing from our manager, our leader, the one who leads us about certain individuals. And so in this case, this is exactly what happened to me. I had inherited a team, small team. One of the first things that I learned based on failure over the years was I needed to get to know them first. That comes down to that value add that we were talking about. I had meetings with them individually, one-on-one, right before I even began working with them as a team and said, hey, tell me about you. Tell me what your management style is. What is. What drives you? Tell me about your family. I want to know about you. And understood them as best as I could. A few months down the road, I, I get uh, my meeting with my manager, who was uh, the COO. And he says, so how is so-and-so doing. He's doing great. He's doing his thing. He's actually going above and beyond, he even works on us on Saturdays occasionally, just on his own. My manager was very surprised at that. He says, wow, really? He says, we've had some challenges with him before he was on your team. We moved him to your team because he was written up on, <laughs> on how he communicates previously. I said, really? I didn't know this. Shocker, right? Yeah. So I says, well, okay. Let me have what the write-up was. Let me get that information. I like to see what it is because my manager wanted me to make sure that we follow whatever plan was on this. I said, okay, well, let me take a look at this. And as I look at it, there wasn't really a plan. And it didn't really appear as if it, there was any time taken out to really address the communication challenges that he was having. I met with this person and said, listen, I'm aware of where you were, the team that you were on before, and the, in this particular issue that came up. You can see the demeanor drop of this employee that I was working with when we had had a great relationship. And I says, listen, what I want you to know is that while that matters on the corporate side, it doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is how we work here. Because I believe that you've learned already this lesson. I'd like to give you some things to shoot for and work on so that you can move up to where you want to be. Because I know that you have specific goals and where you want to be in this company. And I want to help get you there. Is that okay with you? And of course, he was all on board with that. And as he moved along, he became a highly successful employee and did move along in position. And he had said to me about a year or so after, I want to let you know something. He says, you were by far the best leader I've ever worked for. I says, well, I appreciate that. But why? What is it about that? And he says, because you took the time to learn about me and to understand that I was having to learn just like you had to learn. He became very successful. And it just came down to, again, valuing the person and providing them the opportunity to learn, which means failing and working through that failure. 
One of the underlying principles of leadership, or one of the ones I've identified from several experts, including Maxwell, is the principle encourage growth. It's about helping other people grow and develop and get to where they want to go. That becomes a motivator for them to perform well. It really taps into those values that the individuals have. And it sounds like you did an incredible job of just doing that. That's very true. And I tell you, Gary, that's only because of the failures I've had over the years. I have not been a very good leader. I had to grow into that. Leadership is learned. Yeah. It's not born. It was my experience that helped me to pass that along. And you're right. It's about nurturing. It's about developing people. It's leaders are responsible for building other leaders. Failures are just a way of accelerating learning. Yeah. Skipping the line, right? Let's skip the line. Yeah. And it takes the right leader to help develop another person to show them how to do that. And do it with grace. Policies and processes sometimes don't give you enough direction to handle events that are anomalies and especially for catastrophes. Organizations may have contingency plans, but too often, even contingency planning doesn't give enough direction when it comes to people. In this second story, Sherry describes a catastrophic event. Here's Sherry. I have a hospitality major. I worked for a resort in Pennsylvania, and we had four resorts. And I had the privilege of starting at one resort and then upgrading, so to speak, and became a manager for another one for the apartment head. At the time when I was a manager at our largest resort, I was very privileged and honored to work with some really great leaders there. I didn't call them leaders. I didn't even think about it at the time. I just knew that they were the general manager and they were my boss and that was it. I had such a great experience because there was an incident where one of our properties was destroyed pretty bad actually in a flood. The the rains were coming really hard. And behind this particular property was this, I believe it was a man-made stream. So it's pretty, you know, on landscape wise, the rains that were happening at the time were so bad and coming down so much that it ended up overflowing coming from the back of the house of the resort and then flooding all the way through mm. the building. Mm. This resort it was flooded through the dining room, kitchen, all the way to the front. So it destroyed a lot of, you don't, you don't understand the devastation until you go and see it. Our general manager, he ended up taking me under his wing and said, did you want to see it? Did you want to come down and, and actually see it? And I'm like, well, sure. Just to understand the magnitude of what was happening. It devastated all of us. We took a lot of pride in our properties. We practically lived there 24-7 with what we did and what we took care of people. I teared up when I saw the devastation. Wow, I can't believe that water could do this. I mean, we're talking feats of water here. Thankfully, nobody was injured or anything. It was just property damage. Leading up to this, I didn't have the greatest bosses or role models. We're always quick to look at bosses or leaders or managers and be like, wow, I never want to be that way. But it's the diamonds in the rough that you look at someone and say, wow, that's a quality and characteristic that I want to cherish and pieces so I can become a better leader and better manager. I took that with him in particular because he gave all us managers 
an opportunity to come together and almost mourn. I know it sounds weird, but mourn over the loss of what was happening. Like if we needed time off just to understand the the whole magnitude of what happened so we can create a plan to, okay, this is what we need to do. Here's our next steps. And we're going to make this even better and greater. So this will never happen again. You could tell that he he was hurt, of course. So, you know, all, all of us were. He handled it in such a caring manner. If one of us broke down or just, he just had his hand on our shoulder or gave us a hug. I don't know. I know that sounds bizarre, but I don't know. You didn't get that to be human, I guess, is the bottom line. So again, it goes back to value. He valued. Yeah, he valued. Yeah, he he loved people. And it, it showed in everything that he did as a leader, almost to a fault because he cared so much. And he led us all as managers to have that space to be like, okay, it's okay. Don't have to hide it. This is what it is. Grieve a little bit. And then like, okay, now we're going to rise above. And these are the next steps. This is what we need to do to bond together. I thought that was just so beautiful to handle that. It always stuck with me because I was new in my career and that could have gone so many different directions. It helped me to, as a young leader, to cherish the characteristics as a good manager. That's real important what you just described. There's a tendency with people in management to compartmentalize and focus just on the work. Yeah. Here was a situation where you had a disaster where it devastated the workforce. He allowed people to grieve. Again, I'll bring up the pandemic. The ones who were good would start, the ones I've heard have been white collar, a virtual meeting. And the first thing the manager would say is, how are you doing? How is your family? For the first 10, 15 minutes, let the person express what they're experiencing. I had one guest. Patrick Ward on a previous episode, he did that. He actually met weekly with his team. And at the end of the year, they said it was those meetings where we were allowed to just talk about anything that saved us through the pandemic and made all the difference in the world. I think that's what you're describing is being able to accept that we are people and allow us to express what we're experiencing and then be open about it. It's 100% true. We can't turn off the warning lights and think that it's just going to work. Having the ability to realize our responsibility as leaders is certainly the bottom line. That is our responsibility to make sure that we fulfill that with the team that we have. But it begins with the people. Without them, we don't have no one to lead. I had a, another mentor, actually, of mine, Robert Morris. He had borrowed a father's brand new boat to get out on, on the lake. There was a flashing light and it was buzzing and it was annoying. So we went underneath and just unplugged it, the (laughs) wire, so that he didn't hear this light buzzing. And he just did his thing and come to find out that it needed oil. He ended up burning the the engine and costing over $4,000 on a brand new boat. That is what we need to look at as leaders. What can we do so that we do not burn out the engine of our team by just unplugging the alerts, by unplugging the warning signs? It's not going to be sustainable. So we need to value them. Part three, work-life harmony. Earlier, I talked about seven leadership principles that I identified in my research in which six were about other people and one was about the person practicing leadership. 
The name of that principle is Develop Leadership Practices Continuously, which is the advice that Lou and Sherry have. To begin, here's Lou. Every one of us is a leader in some way, whether it's in our family, in our community, walking to the store as a person, we expose ourselves to people. We look at leadership that way on how we influence other people around us. You need to develop you. It needs to start with you. We we can only give to other people at the limit of our own growth. If we expect those that we lead to grow beyond where they are, we need to ask ourselves the question, are we growing beyond where we are? We can only give them what we have. It can only go so far by us saying, you need to read this book and be this person if we haven't done it ourselves. We've got to start with us because we can only give where we are. That includes your family. When you say develop yourself, you're not meaning if you're a manager of engineers, you study, work hard, and learn more about engineering. No, not technical, functional, but how you interact and work with other people and even how you lead. It seems that leadership and learning go hand in hand. That's exactly it. Going back to the phrase I mentioned about you cannot add value to others if you do not value them to value somebody. The biggest value that you can add to somebody's life is for you to grow yourself in a way that allows their life to be valued. As an example, if at home, you're a terrible communicator, do you not think that that is going to carry on over to your work? If you don't sharpen and fix that, it certainly will. Growing yourself will not just change you in your life and in how you present yourself to your family and to people around you. It's going to change the people's lives that you lead. That's what we do. Our goal is to transform other people to become successful leaders themselves. So that would be my advice. Begin there. Read. Pick mm-hmm. up a book, podcast, right? <laughs> Listen to Gary's podcast like you're doing now. <laughs> Listen to, pick up an audio book if you'd rather do that instead of reading. But really, not just read, but learn it. Sherry uses the term shelf help. Don't be a shelf help learner. I don't read it and put it on the shelf and say, oh, I've learned a lot today. No, practice this so that you truly can add value to yourself first, because you can't add value to people unless you start with you. Yeah, you stole my thunder. Did I? uh, (laughs) I knew knew that was going to be, I figured that was going to be a big part of it. But I I could could do a different slant to it, but that's okay. But yes, we we have, it's funny because Gary, you have your principles, right? You know, you have your uh, seven principles. Ironically, we actually have 10 principles that we have that are similar, but our first principle is about you. It's a me principle. It's a me principle. Uh It's about you. Yeah. It starts and ends with you as a leader. That's not in a selfish way. It is actually putting the finger back at you saying, what can I do to grow and learn? My focus is personal development. you got to focus on that personal development, especially if you're in a new role or becoming and you want to become different roles in, in wherever you are. Even personal development as a parent or someone in your community, it all trickles through. Nothing is separated. It can't. Everything ebbs and flows. When you can dive into personal development, and I'll give an example of what that could be since it's so broad, simple as picking up a book. That could be your mentor. I can give you an example of a book that certainly helped me transform my personal development is The 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth by John Maxwell. I can't tell you that enough how many times I've read that book. We've done masterminds around it. 
it's almost my second Bible because there's such a great knowledge and plan in there. It's like a blueprint. And you could literally just open up a chapter and read and there's action that you can do. And it's nothing hard. It's just being intentional, being as simple as that and to read it, but then to apply it. So we have six things a leader should do every day. And one of them is to learn every day. And one of that is reading, but then also to experience it. How's the experience that I'm reading this and how's this growing inside me like a seed? Everything is in there and we have to nurture it and then to apply it. There's three things I got from what you just said. (laughs) One is something you alluded to, and that goes back to this concept of compartmentalizing. I'll share with you my idea of a work-life balance is not how much time you spend at work and how much time you spend in work. Your work-life balance is when your life outside of work and your life at work are congruent in what you're experiencing, the two cross over. Allowing it to cross over makes you a stronger person. That's the first thing I heard you say. The second thing, the words read to lead pop into my head. There's a podcast called read to lead. It's a really good podcast. The third thing I heard, which may not have been your point, you mentioned a mastermind class where you look at the principles. I think that is a valuable way of learning. It's one thing to read a book or read a set of principles and then say, okay, I got to figure out how to apply it. When you're with a group of people and you talk about the application, that's when a lot of real learning happens. When you do it in isolation, it's not the same thing. You get so much more when you're on a journey with other people trying to figure out what to do and how to do things better. I encourage even the board of directors or the the C-suite going through an exercise this together Talk about a way of generating change throughout an organization by doing something like that. Iron sharpens iron is what it's about. And you mentioned, um, we call the the work-life balance. What you explained, the congruency, we call that work-life harmony. Ah. Harmoniously conjoin those together and grow on both sides. There's never this feeling of separation. My thanks to Sherry McManus and Lou Everett. If you'd like to get to know more about Sherry and Lou, go to the show notes. And if you have a question or comment, go to labelleadership.com, click the message icon, and you can leave a voicemail message up to one minute. I'd like to thank those who donate to the show. Your contributions makes a difference because this is an all-volunteer service. Thank you for listening. This is Gary DePaul. Until next time, lead on.